What do you think of when I say the word strategy? Rosie Yo has written a great book called Go For Bold, How to Create Powerful Strategy in Uncertain Times. We certainly have uncertain times at the moment and the advice that Rosie has in this book is fantastic. She talks about a thing called strategy alchemy, which is a kind of cross between information, imagination combined with what you really want. I think if we can do that, we can come up with strategies that really capture our imagination and help us get where we want to go. It's a really cool book and it's a really good chat. I think you're going to love listening to Rosie Yo, author of Go For Bold. Right, Rosie Yo, welcome to the uh, Your Next Read podcast. Now, oh, hi, Luke. It's great to be here and chatting with you today. Um, I would say, is it cheesy to say anybody who has a plan or needs a plan should read this book, whether you're leading a big team or whether you're literally just starting to think about your own business venture or your own organisation and what you want to do next? Because something strategy is something that all of us need to do in our life and our work. Yeah, um, I think the need a plan one is the one. Most people, that if they have a plan, they're obviously a little bit better than strategy than the ones that don't have any. So I guess the ones, someone someone like me, I fly by the seat of my pants and my, my idea of strategy isn't probably the most productive a lot of the times. And your book <laughs> was amazing at actually just how well it got me to focus on like, okay, so if I do that, then I do that, then I do that. And we need these three things. And we're going we're gonna to unpack a bunch of those today. But um, one of the things you talked about was that a strategy is kind of like stepping into a future version of what you want, want your business to be. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit for us and how that helps and how to go about doing that? Yeah, well, that is the thing about strategy. We really are creating something that doesn't yet exist because we're, strategy is all about Um, a plan to achieve long-term competitive advantage. And none of us know exactly what the future is going to look like, but that's the opportunity and strategy to give ourselves the time and space to start thinking about what could we be, what could we create, what, how could we change the world um, if we want to go down that path. And allowing yourself to think further ahead makes you realise that strategy requires as much imagination as it does information, because we are painting a path to a future that doesn't yet exist. So it's mm. it's this it's really exciting to think about the possibility of actually inventing that future. Uh, now I know some people kind of say, "Oh, I'm not really creative. Um, I don't sort of we don't do imagination. We have a structure and a process." Um, but I think just giving people the time and some creative space to start asking that "what if." question the other one you use in the book is imagine yeah and just to be able to just start a start a question with what if or imagine and it's like okay i can do that and i guess we people do have this sort of almost like a false dichotomy of things i'm either creative or i'm structured and there's zero reason why we can't be both of those absolutely and in fact we all need to be both of those because we're all you know, we need to understand what the problems are and then we need to come up with options for how to solve them or we need to understand what the opportunities are and come up with pathways forward to achieve them. So I often talk about the fact that strategy alchemy is this magic blending of information with imagination and you combine that with a really clear understanding of what you're ultimately trying to achieve, then all of a sudden you've got a really powerful um powerful set of ingredients that's going to help create your future plan strategy alchemy 
Yeah. I love it. We're, yeah. we're getting all chemistry on it. <laughs> or just a little bit mystical. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Um, there's a there's a few questions that I, I I took so many notes when I was reading this book because, like I said, I'm I'm not the king of strategy and I really need to get better at it. Um, the those questions that start with "What if" or "Imagine," you know, um, what if a competitor were to start up in your organization to do the to do your work today? How would they do it smarter? Just a question like that that just opens a bunch of things and. What are some other ones like that that you you've found have been really effective? Because you do a lot of this work in in companies all over the place, don't you? Helping them. Yeah, with I do, I do. And and sometimes we've got to allow ourselves to have a bit of fun with it as well. So sometimes the silly questions can actually help open people's mind as well. So mm-hmm. you know, what if all our products were only going to be blue from now on? Or what if the thing we sold right now that's our biggest profit maker we were going to give away for free? Like what else is in the value chain right. that make that's yeah. that's a value that we offer? There's all sorts of ways. And then you can do the, you know, I mean, you mentioned the, you know, what if a competitor was doing the same thing? Yeah. What if we could do because it's easy to say, what if money was no object? You know, how would we do that? Um, you can also have fun with, you know, what if you could only choose one superhero to help you solve this problem? Which one would it be and why? No, and those kind of questions—they really people, do get you thinking, don't they? They do. They open little doors up in your mind, and they start conversations that are enjoyable and interesting as well. And I think we forget that just having in any meeting, having conversations that are enjoyable and surprising and interesting—they just open up possibilities for new ideas and new ways of talking about things. Yeah, don't they? And and just to open up that part of your mind too, because you're going to get strategic. You've got you're right. You do have to be creative at the same time, and and that's that's such a cool thing. One of the things you talk about is being the the devil when it comes to strategy is being complex. Mm-hmm. So, and I think we're, I've actually been in a lot of sort of strategy meetings and stuff where we they get really buried down in the buried down in all those little bits and nits and gritty. And how do we get around that? How do you sort of stop getting stuck in the minutiae, if you like? So it's challenging, isn't it? Because on the one hand, there is a lot of information that we need to process, but then just being stuck in the midst of all of that doesn't help you see a clear way forward. So there's two ways, two things I think all of us could do better. The first is making sure that the structure we have for our strategy discussions is really clear and straightforward. I don't know, before I started facilitating, you know, I was a director and, you know, an advisor to lots of organisations. So I'd be in a lot of strategy meetings and um, I have to confess I hated them because I found them really tedious and frustrating because there'd be all these people arguing about, you know, but are you talking about a goal right now or should we be talking about an objective? Or Is that a mission or a vision? Exactly. Let's have hours arguing over those. Yeah, and more of, you know, like people arguing over very small word changes rather than the overall intent. Like there's nothing more or less productive than a group of 15 people in a room spending two hours wordsmithing a one-line vision statement. That's not productive use of time. Talking about the intent behind the vision statement, absolutely. But don't spend, you know, don't spend all this time wordsmithing. So I think the first thing is to make sure your structure is really clear and simple. 
a lot, sometimes what I do with organisations is rather than giving them an agenda which says, you know, we're going to spend the first hour talking about our current situation and the second hour talking about what the vision should be, um, we, we break down that agenda and actually talk about for each of the segments of our conversation, what's the big question we need to answer? So, you know, right. who are we and what are we here to do? Or how do we want to change the world? Or what is possible? So just changing the They're agenda. The big questions. Yeah, they are big questions, but yeah. it gives you a sense of progress when you know, oh, we've actually had that conversation and we have an answer. You know, we understand yeah. our intent and the answer to that question. Yeah, and I guess one one of the things you pointed was to you, you kind of had the three P's, the sort of purpose, possibilities and priorities. Mm-hmm. And I really like the way those three, you know, if we have purpose, we have what's possible when we can get creative with that and then what your priorities are. Um, I think that works really well too. And how how can we sort of, which one of those, if you like, is often the one that gets forgotten and which one do we need to make sure we we get really clear about, I guess? So I think the purpose is the really important starting point because if everybody understands what your organisation's core purpose is, what your reason for being is, then it gives you the possibility to look further ahead and actually be a bit bolder in how you work out how to get there. Because, you know, strategy is not about coming up with the ideas that are completely risk-free. It's about coming up with the ideas that are worth giving a go. You've thought them through. They may not be risk-free, but they're not reckless either. Um, but mm-hmm. there's a reason for doing them because if you understand what your core purpose is, then you can make choices based on what are the steps we need to take that are going to potentially have the biggest impact in getting us further down the road to what our yeah. ultimate ambition is. Um, like, I think is it other- going to get me closer to that purpose or not? And absolutely, I guess if, if you use that as your barometer, is is that what you're talking about? We've got to sort yep. of is that getting closer to who we want to be as a as a company or as a person? Yeah. And where we want to get to. And that gives you a bit more clarity when you're trying to make decisions about what what is most important. I I think the other thing is too, when you're talking through what all the possibilities are, I think one area where we also fall down in strategy is that we don't actually drill down into what those possibilities are in any detail. So people throw things out like, you know, we really need to better engage our stakeholders. You know, and everybody just sits in our table. Yes, oh, that's yes, a really yeah. good thing. Stakeholders yes, are very important. Yeah, but what does that actually mean? You know, like yeah. if you start drilling down further into what that means, you know, which stakeholders are you talking about? Why are they the most important ones? Are there other ones we haven't even thought about yet? You know, at what what would be different if we're talking about doing things better? What would be different? You know, how could we do this differently? And what would be the impact for them? And for us, and when you start drilling down further into those sort of possibilities, then also it increases the likelihood that people are going to reach agreement because they all understand what they're agreeing to um, and that they'll better understand what it is they're agreeing to and what the value is. And I guess that's where your your purpose then flows really well into what your possibilities are. Exactly. Yeah, okay. One of of the things... And I, I'd kind of noted this before is that I, I'm one of those people, I, I have a, an idea that the best ideas are when you have a thousand of them and you're going to pull out one or two nuggets, <laughs> all right? But if you only try and have one or two, they're never going to be very good. So mm-hmm. almost like throw shit at a wall and see what sticks <laughs> sort of strategy, right? Yeah. And you talked a really cool thing about that, about how to not, you used a John Cleese quote. I don't know if you can remember it. 
There's another one about which one? Little ideas are like little creatures. Yeah, an idea is like a little creature. They're very easy to strangle, which I thought was great. <laughs> yeah, I love that quote too. And and how, when you're in that, say you're in that strategy meeting and you've got the 15 around and they've they've all sort of worked out. Yes, it's a vision, not a mission, or whatever whatever they've done. How do we make it so we don't strangle our little creatures? How do we let some of those stupid ideas have some legs until we sort of work out where else they can go? What, what sort of advice have you got people to help with that? So the first thing is to give yourself the time to do that. You know, like we all kind of rush in with an agenda um, and think that we've got to clock through all these things really quickly. But mm. as, you know, any, any creative endeavour, takes time and you need to allow it to germinate and if you're doing it with different people you need to allow different people you know that space and time as well to play with the ideas and to you know turn them around a little bit and ask a different question about them um what if that was all blue (laughs) exactly exactly Um, and I think, you know, the, the reality is we do need to give ourselves some time. And I talk about time and creative space because it mm-hmm. actually, you've got to, people have to be, feel comfortable that they're allowed to take that time and, you know, toy with a little idea and play with it. And that in itself, even if it's not the best idea and it's not ultimately the one you're going to go with, even mm-hmm. just that shared experience of thinking about it and doing that what if that can be really valuable and lead on to other ideas as well. Yeah, right. It, it's just that just starting the, the things with imagine or what if I think just opens a lot of those, doesn't it? And, and, and being aware when you actually do have your ha- hands around the neck of that little creature that you're, <laughs> you're actually not going to strangle the poor little bugger, which, uh, which would be really cool. And also um, that shared group, that group, you know, so like sometimes a group of people, there tends to yeah. be one person in the group who automatically jumps into the no position. You know, there's always some people who really want to, you know, that's the that's the way they think. They're trying to, mm. they're very practical and they're trying to think, oh, yes, but that wouldn't work because of this and that wouldn't work because mm. of this. And that's where, you know, you can do those really helpful and very simple exercises where, you know, you go around the table and you ask everybody to do an and response, mm. um, you know, or and as well. And instead, yep. so that gives just a little bit of breathing space for that tiny little idea to to be looked at in more detail. So, how do you handle that that person that wants to chime in really quickly with the no in in that sort of meeting? And you, you kind of, you know, the creature hasn't got its legs yet. We haven't worked out whether it's a good idea or not, and whether it's a good strategy or not. How do we? How do we? No, let that no person because we need those too. We need those people Absolutely. that are going to push back. How do yeah. we? How do we kind of get them to shut up for a little while 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 the yes people are actually doing their thing? Yeah. So in some ways, it's easier as an independent facilitator to come in because you can talk with a group at the start about what the ground rules are, and you can explain that different parts of the meeting have do have different processes. So if you signal to people that you know this part of the conversation is all about seeing what the what-ifs are. Let's just enjoy coming up with the what-ifs and also reassuring people that we are going to go to practicalities. We are going to ask what about in a moment and, you know, start being a bit more hard-nosed and realistic about some of these ideas. But just for this moment, let's focus on the, let's focus on possibilities. And I think, you know, you can also do things like, you know, acknowledge people when they raise a good point, jot it down on a piece of paper or on a flip chart and say, yes, let's come back to that. But right now, Let's have fun with this. 
you know, let's enjoy this process and see what else comes out. Yeah, I love that idea. I, I often have a thing I call the car park. Yeah. If we're, we're running a workshop, just have a car park on a, a, a big sheet on the on the board. And, you know, that's really important. Thanks for bringing that up. We're going to pop it on here. We're going to come back to it. But, yeah, now we're going to not strangle little, little creatures. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing, too, that I do sometimes with very experienced boards, you know, you you walk into a board or an executive team and everybody, there's a, there's a tendency and we all do it, right? We walk into a room and you know you've been invited in there, so you want to prove you're valuable. So you kind yes. of walk in there and if the chair's going, everybody introduce themselves. You know, there's a tendency for all of us to say, yes, well, I'm Rosie and I'm an expert in this and this and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of putting up what you offer, which is great. But sometimes I ask people to come in and the first thing I ask them to do as they're introducing themselves is tell us something they're really interested in learning about from someone else or tell us something you don't know and you're not sure about. And that gives everybody the ability to step back and go, oh, actually, let's open, you know, the best strategy doesn't come from what you know already. It's from Mm. when you can be curious about other things. I love that. I love that. And those little, those icebreakers, they, they can sound really wanky. Like when you, when you think, oh, we're going to do an icebreaker, we're going to do this, but they're actually, they're really important. I think, particularly if the group doesn't perhaps know each other quite so well. Um, Absolutely. I never call it an icebreaker because I do think you're right. Everybody goes, oh, it's an icebreaker. Yeah. Okay. I I don't care what your first car was. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But the first 15 minutes of the session are just so important for the rest of the day. Do you find they just set the tone? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and you've been you've been involved with a lot of them where you were in house at the start of your career mm-hmm. in those sort of strategy meetings, and then later on as a as an external facilitator. And what you know, there, there'd obviously be pros and cons with both of those. And how do, how do we sort of how do you know whether you need to get someone like you to come in? And obviously, the standard answer is that you always need to. But yeah. speaking how, as a consultant. How, yeah, speaking as a consultant, yes, you always get the external person. In. But how it, it's a serious question. What sort of things would you look at to sort of say, if this is happening, yeah, you're definitely going to benefit from having someone external there. Yeah, so I think um, there are there are a few different there are a few different patterns that you see. Sometimes there's an organisation where the CEO or the chair is quite new, and they're not quite sure which you know. There's so many different strategy frameworks and all of that, and they just don't feel confident that they know the best path forward right now so they they bring you in because you know it's it's um they kind of want that reassurance and confidence sometimes it's a really high performing organization and the chair or the ceo absolutely wants to be an active part of the strategy discussions and whoever's you know if you're facilitating and running the meeting you can't be yeah. an equal participant in all the conversations. So a lot of the organisations I work with, it's because the senior people want to be really engaged in the conversation. So that's oh. where, uh, you know, they handed, I, if I'm running the process, they get, they are sort of on equal footing with everybody around the table. And that's really valuable for the whole team as well as for them to be a part of it. Um, and, of course, then there's the one where, there can be, you know, sometimes organisations are going through tough times and things are pretty dysfunctional and mm-hmm. um, and that's where having an independent independent facilitator can help take some of the heat out um, and give people a chance to regroup and feel a bit safer to have 
those yeah. conversations. Do you, do you find sometimes you have to kind of, as that facilitator, do you have to kind of put your big girl pants on and say, you know, <laughs> get into people and stuff? How, how does that work? Like, so, it's really hard to tell the chairman to, yeah, shut up and let someone else talk. <laughs> um, it is, but that's what you've been brought in to do. Like you've been brought yeah, in, right. you know, I'm really conscious that um, you're brought in to make sure the organisation gets the best out of the day and every person in the room gets the best out of the day. And, I mean, it's the same when someone's really, really chatty. You know, that's just their nature. They really want to contribute and they're so enthusiastic. Um, but you've got to make sure that everybody in the room is participating and sometimes that does mean, you know, I, I'd say gently and firmly adjusting the conversation and adjusting the norms of the conversation. And it's it's hard, you know. Some days, some days are easier than others and you don't always get it 100% right, you know, because we're all dealing with, you know, we're all individuals, right? So we don't always hit the tone perfectly every single time. Um, but, you know, that's also where you can acknowledge what's going on in the room and test the temperature in the room and and sort of work with people to say, are you okay if we keep moving on and, you know, I'm proposing mm-hmm. we go down this path now to help still, you know, lead us to where we need to go. Yeah, right. So there's some real, I, I guess if you're the leader, if you're the CEO or you're the chairman or whoever is having that other person there, it's got to be a wonderful thing to be able to free you up to actually take part in the discussion rather than having to lead it. So, yeah, that Absolutely. makes perfect sense. Yeah, and you hear things differently when you're hearing the whole conversation because, you know, my mind's racing. Anyone who's running a session like this, your mind's racing at 100 miles an hour trying to make sure you catch all the ideas, work out how you, you know, can can narrow them down and make sure you're capturing un- understanding where people are going. So just the luxury of being able to sit back and hear the whole conversation in a different way is really important for leaders. Mm. I'd like, I just want to steer off for a little minute. Is, has there been a, an improvement in the diversity and stuff in a lot of these rooms now? Is there, are there, are there more women involved with these? Are there are more people of colour? Are there, are we getting, is the diversity sort of message that you get better ideas with a more diverse room, is that cutting through yet or is, have we still got a long way to go? Oh, I think it's definitely cutting through in certain organisations. I mean, I've actually been a, a member of the Institute of Company Directors for 100 years or a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, even that, you know, going along to their annual going along to their annual director briefing every year um, and looking around the room there, it's interesting to see, you know, even in the last, say, 15 years, I can absolutely see a significant change in who is turning up and who's sitting around the room. Um, mm. So I think people are very, very conscious of that and they're working hard. I think um, I think also there are ways of bringing in diverse ideas, even if you, you know, even if you've got sort of fixed people around the room, you can still bring in some diverse ideas either by sending out information or, you know, links to a podcast or, a you know, interesting article or something before a session and asking everyone to read it. You can ask a guest speaker to come in and give a different perspective. Um, You can ask people sitting around the room to sort of acknowledge what their perspective is and ask them to think about a particular issue from a different perspective. How would that be different if you were, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so I definitely think we're changing and we're more conscious about it, Um, you know, but it's varied in different organisations. Because the science is the the science on it is really really clear now that if you have more diversity, you come up with better strategies and you come up with better decisions. So the science on it's pretty clear, and it makes so, so much sense, doesn't it? Because you're yeah, just not it? you're not walking in with um with a really blinkered view to start with. 
Yeah, which which makes a really big difference. And one of that that going to that diversity thing, you told a story. Um, I'm putting you on the spot here, but you told a story about the Rockefeller Foundation in April of 1969, <laughs> and they had a meeting in in Lake Como. Mm-hmm. Um, can you remember parts of the story, and can you can you tell everyone what happened there and why it was such a great strategy meeting? Yeah, it was it was back in the you're right. It was back in the 1960s, and the world was um, the late 1960s, and the world was looking like there was a massive food crisis. Um, occurring, you know, the crops were failing. You could see around the world um, that there were, you know, lots of countries. People were really struggling, and there was not enough food. And you know, countries and nonprofit organisations were shipping heaps of food out to some of these countries, but they could see that there was this massive crisis. You know, there were books being put out saying, um, I think it was Paul Ehrlich put out a book about the population uh, population bomb and they were starting to say things like, you know, America's going to need to choose which country they help and other countries are just going to have to starve. So they brought together 24 people to this conference centre, the Belagia, the Rockefeller Foundation, brought together 24 people to this conference centre for three days in Lake Como and they were a mixture of government organisations, um, the non-profit sector and some scientists to figure out how do we solve this massive problem. And it was, you know, it was only three days. Um, of course, they were all men back then. Um, so in some ways it wasn't so diverse, but the diverse uh, um, from different back, the, yeah, they were from different stuff, perspectives. Yeah. So, of course, the aid organisations turn up and they're all about, you know, how do, we, how do we get enough money and get more shipments and get them out there for food? But the scientists had a different approach. They were like, we need to tell you, we're doing some amazing research into how to, um, you know, into the science behind getting more efficient crops, um, enabling more disease-resistant uh, seeds. You know, we've done some incredible work in, I think it was Mexico and the Philippines. We can translate this further around, you know, around the world and work with local communities. And so from starting from these very different perspectives, by the end of the third day, these organisations had agreed that there was a new way forward, that if they actually fast-tracked the establishment of these research institutes in local communities in these countries of need, they could absolutely revolutionise the way agriculture was carried out and they could change the change the dynamic and actually avert this risk of famine over the next five to ten years. Now, all of those new scientific techniques you know, there were there were long-term ramifications of some of those too. So nothing mm-hmm. is ever a magic fix. But at the time, it saved, you know, potentially millions and millions of people from starvation. And it was all because these people with different perspectives got together for three days to talk about what the problem was and what alternative solutions were. And I just think that's a wonderful example of where a small group of committed people with different perspectives can you know, change the world. And it goes back to your thing when you're talking about the clarity of your strategy is knowing what the stakes are and your purpose, mm-hmm. you know, deline- delineating your your options and your possibilities and then focusing on what matters most and your priorities. And that that just seems like a perfect example of that, didn't it? Like I'm sure those aid or people went in there thinking, how can I get more aid? And they came out thinking, you know, how can I get better fertilizer on these crops to stop this disease? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just they they literally did change the world. So, you know, it was just I think, um, I you know, Lowell Howard, Lowell 
Lowell Harden, who was one of the um, participants from the Ford Foundation, uh, he wrote about he wrote about this um, this particular Bellagio conference, and you know he just writes so powerfully about the process and what what mattered. I love there's one little line in there about you know by the end of the second day, the scientists and the aid organisations were talking with each other, you know, were greeting each other with their first names, you know, which back in the 60s, that was a thing. That showed that was yeah. a really symbolic move as well. Yeah, and it was just such a great story that it just, you know, you, you can't go into those sort of strategy things with a really fixed idea, the fixed fixed purpose for sure, that what you want to do, and even that's got to be a bit flexible. Mm-hmm. But to be able to then sort of embrace those, poly, you know, those things and getting, getting creative. Um, there, there was some really cool stuff that you talked about with strategy too of being, and this kind of twigged with me, is that that idea of being able to unlearn things, that we can't get a good strategy without unlearning that. And how does, how does that sort of getting stuck and not being able to unlearn things, how does that, how do you get around that in, in a strategy meeting? So I think the first thing is to try and call out, you know, what are, what are our assumptions? Like what are we absolutely assuming that we do need to question a bit more. So you need to be clear about that. And that's kind of with the, you know, often I start with strategy sessions with, um, you know, what a bit of an analysis of what is our starting point? Like where where are we right now? What are our, what are our given, what are our givens? What are the things we always assume we'll be doing into the future? Um, and then start again, question some of those, look at them. Is there, you know, is there value? in having another look at them again asking what if what if we didn't do some of those givens yeah okay what would that and and that then opens up the possibilities doesn't it which goes in yeah. your next one and and then get your priorities once you've got all the possibilities in in, in place yeah and if the givens are still the givens that's awesome because you've tested yeah. them and you've stress tested them and they're still absolutely valid so you can be even more confident in going yes this is the foundation. You know, this is one of the things that we're not going to change. And that's a good thing too. Ones I really loved. And th- this one, and if you, if you can take us through an example of this, this would be so cool, is your fairy tale strategy. <laughs> <laughs> the fairy tale strategy is awesome. I wrote that down for a couple of things and just went, yeah, that's so cool. I'm using that. Can you can you take us through that? <laughs> so, yeah. So one of the things, you know, we I do talk in the book about the importance that you really need to be clear about your strategy. And one of the best ways I've found to actually testing where, how clear people are about their strategy is to ask them to tell it back to you in the form of a fairy tale um, because, you know, fairy tale is the archetypal narrative, right? You start, you've got, um, you've got a person or, a, you know, a character. Once upon that, a time. Yeah, once upon a time there was a, you know, and you fill in the character and that character was, you know, in fairy tale, it's like, and she was beautiful and, you know, so, and intelligent, but she could also be headstrong or something like yes. that. So, you know, it's a classic SWOT analysis where, you know, our organisation, what are the good <laughs> things? Yeah. And then the princess or the organisation wanted to, and you set what that quest is and, um, you know, be really clear about what your ultimate quest is. So then you talk about how the princess or the 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 organization you know so the princess decided to and you list down sort of the three key strategies that are actually going to either maximize your enablers or overcome the hurdles that you've already identified to achieving that goal mm-hmm. um and then the princess lived happily ever after because of course yeah. you know in a fairy tale you've always got there are there are people that help the princess you know there's mm-hmm. the 
there's the you know the kindly old lady or there's the talking horse yes. or the prince or whatever it is and then there's also the thing the hurdles that are going to get in the way you know the troll under the bridge and the yeah. the poison apple and you and know, all all movies yeah you think of something like shrek yeah you know, donkey turns up and you know all of those sorts of things yeah yeah you know, it, it's it's almost like that joseph campbell's hero with a thousand face exactly um, and i mean you know you could do the same thing with a cart you know with an action movie you could absolutely recapture strategy as an action movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I find that doesn't work because people start just talking about the car chase scenes. You know, everybody gets right. distracted. <laughs> They're like, Let's talk about which car we're driving on the car chase scene. So that doesn't as, work, which is where the fairy tale is much simpler. The fairy tale is much simpler. It was a really effective way to do it, though. And to that idea of, you know, keep it simple, stupid, really works for that, I reckon. But it's, it sounds yeah. really childish, but it, it, it was really yeah. effective. I, I did it with a couple of things I do and went, yeah, that's really cool. Let's do that. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. So, and yeah, it does work. Isn't it? isn't it? So with with the, the idea of go for bold, a lot of it is to sort of set those goals a little bit higher or a mm-hmm. lot higher than what you want. One, I know you said you don't read self-help books and things like that too much, <laughs> but you've written one, but you don't read them. Yeah. One of the ones I've read was that talking about doing something two times, so increasing, you know, doubling something, you can kind of keep 80% of your things exactly the same. But if you want to 10 times something, you've got to get rid of 80%. Have you ever heard that sort of theory I haven't before? actually heard that. That's a really interesting theory. I think that's a bit too binary. I would probably find you that think a, it's bit a bit too, too binary? binary. Yeah, yeah okay. I do. Because I think often in strategy, there's one idea that's a game changer. So you might mm-hmm. actually have the conversation and realise that we're doing all these great things, but to step it up, there is this one game changer idea that we've come up with, you know, we don't need to change everything. And in fact, sometimes you do need to be really clear about what is it we're holding on to. You know, there's a there's a big decision there to keep doing, you know, it's a bold decision sometimes to keep doing what you're doing as things are changing around you. But I think, you know, I think those game changer decisions can be small and they can be large because um, even sometimes the small ones have a big spillover impact. So, yeah, I, I would probably, I would, probably not jump onto that one and unless it was something like full-on game changing like a an uber yeah. or a netflix or or one of those sorts of things yeah completely but, change yeah. it but even they're, they're hard in you know, a strategy thing too because you've, you've got a big chance to fail haven't you yeah and i mean you look at netflix he's written um you know the ceo of netflix always writes you know his kind of statement of purpose and if you compare the statement of purpose from about i think it was like 2015 um, between 2015 and 2019 or 2020, they are almost the same thing. You hasn't know, there's, um, yeah, the, the core purpose actually hasn't changed being a focused passion brand. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Some things don't need to change. Right. Okay. Um, where can we get hold of um, Go For Bold and how can we contact you if we want to, if, if we're thinking our chairman isn't doing a very job facilitating our strategy? How do we get hold of Rosie? <laughs> All right, so rosieyo.com.au is a really quick, easy way of finding me. And also, please, always happy to get connections on LinkedIn as well. Go for Bold's available at all good bookstores. You can also get it direct from me at goforbold.com.au. And um, yeah, always love to always love to hear feedback and hear how people are going and hear if the book has actually really helped people transform the way they think about their their future. 
I think we need to get a thing going that everyone needs to write their fairy tales and post them on LinkedIn. I think that will work really well. So your love fairy, to Your read strategy those. fairy tales. Such a good um, idea, Luke. Now, I know you're not a big self-help reader, so <laughs> I, I, we have a fast five that we like to do at the end to get a bit of right. you know, what you do read. All right. Yep. Are you reading anything now? What are you reading yes, I am. now? Alan Cumming, Baggage, right. part of his, one of his autobiography books. Okay. Is it good? Yeah, it's fasc- it's fascinating. It's like it's I I love it because it's the right amount of gossip and also like genuine reflections on his life and where he's got to and you know challenging childhood and you know really yeah. interesting. Cool. Your most memorable book as a kid? Oh, I'd have to say Anne of Green Gables. You know Gilbert Blythe, my my heartthrob from an early age. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's amazing how often we get that sort of stuff and Little Women are the, are some yeah. of the big ones we get on that one. Um, yeah. What book should everybody read? I actually think every Australian should read Trent Dalton's Boy Swallows Universe. Oh, isn't it great? The it's, whole, I'm yeah. from Queensland, the whole Bogger Road thing and you kind of know where they're going and just the yeah. imagination of this kid and the imagination of the author to come up with it. I've and actually I've just never, that. oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I've never read a book where, you know, like I've literally gone, oh, you know, a few times at just the, or I think it's the, this all on the one page, you've got this beautiful lyrical language, then you've got something hilariously laugh out loud, and, and then you've got something that whacks you. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it took my yeah. breath away. It definitely had has all of that. It's a great book. It's yeah, I'm actually reading it for the second time at the moment. I love reading novels um, for a second time before I go to sleep. It's a really good way to get to sleep because you know yeah. what happens and if you fall asleep, yeah. it doesn't matter. That's a great um, idea. This one might be hard for you. What self-help book has had the biggest influence on you? Do you know what? It's almost, I, I don't even know if I can call it a self-help book, but there's a book Lay by Mary me. Russell called The Blessings of a Good Thick Skirt. And it's actually this whole <laughs> list of kind of um, vignettes of um, lady explorers, you know, women explorers over the last 200 years, you know, what they've done to go and find adventure and find new things. And I just find that, you know, when things are feeling a bit tough and, you know, um, it's all a bit hard, I just love going back to that book and just being inspired by the fact that these women, you know, could literally march out into a very foreign world um, with confidence and curiosity. The benefits of a good thick skirt. The blessings of a blessings good thick skirt. Blessings of a good thick skirt. Because right. one of them fell down an animal trap and her good thick skirt stopped her from being squashed. Wow. Good thick skirts. Here we come. It sounds like <laughs> William Wallace or something from Braveheart, doesn't it? It's pretty crazy. Um, what would your autobiography be called? Oh, my gosh. Okay. That one, you know, she really wanted to help. <laughs> right. Nice. Yeah. And I'm sure she did. So <laughs> the book is called called Go For Bold. It's a fantastic book, particularly if you do want some tips on how to get strategic on things. And you've, you've woven a beautiful amount of stories and, and information and it's, it's, it's a great read and um, I really enjoyed it. And I think if anyone else wants to have a look at strategy, I think it's a good one for them. So Rosie Yo, thank you for coming on Your Next Read. Thanks, Luke. Loved it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Your Next Read. If you'd like to get Go For Bold by Rosie Yo. Go to majorstreet.com.au and use the code YNR to get your discount. I'm Luke Mathers and you've been listening to Your Next Read.